right, guys. How's it going? Good, how are you? I'm great. All right. Me too. That's why I have this tea up here. My throat hurts because some little middle schoolers got me sick. Not you guys, the guys at my school. Okay. Well, hello. My name is Claire. For those of you who maybe are new tonight or you are just like not very observant or something. I don't know. Anyway, my name is Claire. Um, I am a sixth grade leader. Yeah, sixth grade. It's a good year. Uh, I, what, okay, who am I? Um, I don't know. I like The Office. Yeah, I, oh, hey, Emily. That's my roommate. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like teaching. Um, when I was, I went to ASM. And then after ASM, I went to school to learn how to read and teach the Bible. And then after that, I went to school to uh, learn how to teach math. So two very different things, very different end of the spectrum. But anyway, so that's why I'm here. That's why I, you know, they pay me the big bucks to be up here, which is nothing. Um, so today we're going to talk about First Thessalonians. So um, we're going to talk about markers. So what, what are the things, not those kinds of markers, I should have explained that. But what are the things in life that we kind of mark ourselves by? What are the things that we identify with that we say like, yeah, that's a part of me or that's like what I want to associate myself with? So there's a lot of different things that we associate ourselves with, right? Like we could say I'm um, a boy, I'm a girl, or I like this, I like that. I'm a dog person, I'm a cat person. Like there's all different kinds of things. I personally am a cat person. Nothing, I have nothing against dogs. I like dogs. I want a dog. I've had dogs, but I just happen to be, you know, just kind of partial to little fuzzy kitties, all right? Um, I'm a cat person, and my best friend, Bryn, is a huge cat person. She's a huge cat person. Right, and she, the reason why I know that she's a cat person is not just because she's told me that she's a cat person, because she daily proves to me that she's a cat person. All right, so what she does, she proves that she's a cat person is she is constantly taking video of her cat and sending them to me. She posts them on the internet. She's always talking about her cat. She'll like walk into a room and announce to the room that she just got a cat. And then she'll like walk around and show everyone videos. I don't have a picture. See, she's a cat person, all right? And... She proves to Opal, her little kitty, that she's a cat person by taking care of her, right? She, well, I guess she's learning how to go to the bathroom in the toilet, which is kind of cool. But she cleans up after her. She feeds her. So she's proving that she's a cat person each and every day to not only the cats, but to us, right? Just by being Britain. So today we're going to talk about how we prove what we identify ourselves with. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 1, 2 through 5. So I, as you guys, I hope you brought your Bibles or your phones or something. I want you to get those out and turn to 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to be looking at 2 through 5. And as you're doing that, hey guys, did I say Thessalonians? Oh, I'm so sorry. 1 Thessalonians, sorry. 1 Thessalonians. As you guys are doing that, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of backstory on this 
book of the Bible because I think every time we kind of start a book, we should really kind of talk about the context of it. So this book is written by a person named Paul. Okay, so who is Paul? If you were with us last year, if you're in seventh or eighth grade, hopefully you remember that we studied the book of Acts for an entire year. Um, but we studied this last week, Acts 17. Is there anyone in the back? Okay, hey, can you go to the next one? That's Paul. That's the funniest picture I could find of Paul. It's a real picture, just kidding. So who is Paul? Paul is this guy, okay? Paul used to not be a Christian. He became a Christian through this kind of crazy circumstance. But after he became a Christian, he became one of like the world's most famous missionaries. Okay, so what he would do is he would go from city to city and he would tell people about Jesus. So in this particular story, he goes to a city of Thessalonica or Thessaloniki or Thessalonica or whatever you want to call it. Okay, and he goes to the city and he does what Paul does. He goes to the Jewish synagogue or a Jewish church and he begins teaching them about Jesus. And it goes, okay, it's all right. So some of the people, some of the Jews believe in Jesus and some of the Greeks or people who are not Jewish believe in Jesus as well. And so those kind of two different groups, the people who used to be Jews and the people who used to be not Jews, they come together and they start a church, okay? So Paul is in Thessalonica starting his church and kind of getting them rolling for about four to six months, so like a little half a year, a little under half a year. And eventually the rest of the Jewish people in the city get really upset with him because Paul is preaching that Jesus is the king of kings. And when you live in Rome, no one else can be king except for Caesar, and so they do what normal people do, and they get mad, and they attack him. Yeah, just kidding. It's not normal. So they start this mob, and they go to the house that Paul and his friends are staying at, and they kind of decide that they're going to create this riot. And Paul decides in the middle of the night that he's going to just hightail it out of there, and he heads to the next city. Okay, so that's kind of the story of Thessalonica, and that's how we get this church that we're going to be reading about. So this church, two very different groups of people have come together to start it. They're in the middle of this port city with a bunch of people in the area who do not like them. Okay, so As we're reading this book, I want you to kind of keep that in the framework of like, this is what we're dealing with. Okay, So does anyone know what Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians is? What type of writing is it? It's a letter! Woo! Dubai! Just kidding. I don't know. It's a letter. So this is a letter that after Paul leaves Thessalonica, he goes to another city called Corinth. And while he's there, he decides, hey, I'm going to write a letter to that church I've been talking or that I started. And I'm just going to let them know kind of what's going on. And I'm going to write them some a note. So most letters start with dear Blah, 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 right? It's a greeting. And that's kind of what we get in verse one. So that's like the second century way of saying, dear Thessalonica, is Paul saying, uh, to the church of the Thessalonica, God in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. That's his kind of, hello, how's it going? So this letter that we're looking at, though, is super personal. And uh, some of the initial thoughts that we're going to go over today are, uh, they, they're very deep, and they're very, like, rich. I don't know how else to say that besides that. 
So has anyone ever received a letter from someone? Hopefully you have. Okay. Have you ever lit, uh, received a letter from someone who lived really far away? Okay. Yes. So I, when I was your age, I lived here, obviously. And my sister, my oldest sister, moved away. And she went to college. And then after college, she moved to the Philippines for like five years, okay? And so when she was in the Philippines, we were second century, so I had like Facebook and email and the phone. But every once in a while, what she would do is she would write me a letter. So every once in a while, I would get a letter from my sister in the Philippines. And that letter was super, super special because I would open it and she would tell me about how her life was going. She was a teacher, so she would tell me about her classroom and kind of what was going on, and she would ask me questions. And so that letter was extra special because it was from my sister and because she lived so far away. So keep that in mind as we're reading this letter, that this is from Paul, who the Thessalonians love and who has been gone for a while and who at this time lives very far away. Okay? So keep that in mind. So we're going to dive in. We're going to look at verse 2. So here we go. Verse 2, it says, We give thanks, God, always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. We're already going to stop. Let me tell you why. So Paul writes a lot of letters that made their way into the Bible. He writes a lot of them. And most of his letters, he starts with what we call a prayer of thanksgiving. And he tells the people that he's writing to why he's thankful for them. So Paul is not known for being very lovey-dovey. He's not known for being like super sassy. He's actually known for being very blunt, very honest, and kind of sassy. He's kind of like me. Okay. <laughs> But in this letter, it's a little bit different because Paul is actually very sincere and he's very, like, kind and he's not sassy at all. Yeah, sassy. Okay. So right away, Paul is going to explain to the Thessalonians why he is constantly th being uh, thanking the Lord for them in prayer for three reasons. And those three reasons are in verse Three, and that's kind of where we're going to stick tonight, because I think verse 3 really holds the meat of this chunk of passage. So verse 3 says, um, well, verse 2, sorry. We give thanks to God always for all of you, make mention in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. And we're going to stop there. So Paul says these three things, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. So what do those three things mean? And we're going to break those down, okay? So when you think of the word faith, what comes to mind? You can answer. Yeah, what? Trust. Anyone else? Yeah, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> yeah, I think of the word trust or belief. So when you see the words work of faith, I don't want anyone to get mixed up here, okay? I want to stop and make sure that you guys have it really clear that Paul is not talking about doing something to get to heaven. He's not talking about doing something for our salvation. No, Paul makes it very clear in all of his letters that we can't do anything by ourselves to get to heaven. We can't give enough money to the poor or tutor enough children in some far third, the third world country uh, we can't just be a good enough person to get to heaven. No, Paul is talking about a work that comes out of our saving faith. So right now, you are all actually participating in a work 
of faith. Your chair. Okay? When we got down here and we said, okay, go ahead and grab your chair, all of you went and grabbed a chair. You believed, you had faith that chair was going to hold you up. And then as a work of faith, you sat down in it and you are now sitting in it. You are practicing a work of faith. Yeah. Mind blown. So that's kind of the same idea that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a saving faith and the work that comes out of that saving faith. So he's thanking the Thessalonians for that specific work that came from their saving faith. Then Paul goes on to talk about the second reason why he's thankful, and that is their labor of love. So in our modern day culture, we use the word love very dumb. Okay, it's very dumb the way we use it. I'm just going to be blunt. Um, We say, oh yeah, like I love mom and I love my dad and I also love frozen yogurt. Like those things, we use the same word to describe our mom and dad as frozen yogurt. And this is not the love that Paul is talking about. The love that Paul is talking about is much, much deeper. So have you ever, have you guys ever watched a TV show where, um, I watch The Bachelor (laughs) and I'm embarrassed, but oftentimes on Bachelor and The Bachelorette, they say things like, love shouldn't be so hard. It shouldn't be so hard. It should just be easy. And I hate that because love is hard. It is very hard and it requires work. So that's why Paul calls it a labor of love. It requires work. It's not a feeling or it's not simply an act of love. Love, because Paul goes on to a special Greek word called agape. Now, maybe some of you who are on like quiz team and stuff know what agape love is. But agape love was different than any other description of love. And John, later in the Bible, actually talks about agape love. And he says that as humans, we can't even begin to understand what agape love is. It doesn't even begin to describe the love that we have from human to human or even human to God even begin to describe. He says that agape love can only be understood when we think about Jesus's sacrificial love where he died on the cross. So that's the kind of agape love that the Thessalonians had in this verse. So the third reason why Paul is so thankful for the Thessalonians is because of their endurance or steadfastness of hope. For a lot of us, our idea of hope, at least my idea of hope, is that I'm hoping something happens, I'm waiting for it, and it it might happen, it might not happen, but I really do want it to happen. So that's not the idea of hope that Paul is talking about. The idea that Paul is talking about is that hope means that we are waiting with certainty. So in Paul's list, hope is waiting for something that will certainly happen. It will happen you know for certain what is going to come. So when I initially read this verse, I thought, I wonder if Paul is talking about anything specific. Is he talking about a specific work of faith, a specific labor of love, a specific steadfastness of hope? Like, what is he really talking about? And I think later in the chapter, he actually describes what he's really talking about. And so I think that's in verses 9 and 10. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit. And I'm just going to touch on them. And he says, for they themselves report, I should mention, 
The Thessalonians, once they heard about Jesus, they went to different cities, and they told different cities about Jesus. And those cities went and told uh, Paul about what had happened. And so what Paul is talking about in they, he's saying the other cities themselves. So the cities that you told about Jesus reported about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols, serve a living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, rescues us from the wrath to come. So these are how the Thessalonians were living their faith, love, and hope. I like that there are specific verbs in verse 3, and there are verbs in verses 9 and 10. Their faith was that they turned to God. Their love was that they served the living and true God. And their steadfastness was that they waited for the Son, Jesus, to return from heaven. So Paul is telling us that these are the markers or what shows that we are followers of Jesus. This is our proof. But more importantly, it's not just the act of turning, serving, and waiting. It's the why behind the turning, serving, and waiting. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a why. We have a Jesus who died across our sins for you and for me, even though we were sinners, who rose from the dead and tells you and I that if we put our trust in him and we make him the boss of our life, that we can spend an eternity with him in heaven. And as a follower of that Jesus, my life and your life should look different than everyone else's. And it should loudly proclaim Jesus because of our works of faith, our labor of love, and our steadfastness of hope. So my question to you today is, is your life marked by faith, love, and hope? Have you turned away from the things in your life that you put in front of God, the idols that you've put in front of God, whether that's your popularity, the way that people perceive you, maybe it's your family, you think, you, oh, I've, I've come from a good family. Or maybe it's uh, money or fame or being uh, known in the church even. That is a form of being an idol or having an idol. And are you daily serving Jesus? Are you daily dying to yourself to serve Jesus? And are you waiting expectantly for Jesus to come back? So we're going to pray, and then the worship band is going to come back up. And afterwards, we're going to have a um, small group question up there. And I want you guys to think about that and be honest with one another and be honest with yourselves. And if you have any questions or you have something you want to talk about, make sure that you pull aside your small group leader and you talk to them. Okay? I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us. That as humans on this earth, we have just this amazing love that you offer to us through your death, through Jesus' death and cross and his resurrection. And that as followers of Christ, we can accept that love and that you, you, you send your Holy Spirit and that with the Holy Spirit, we can live our lives full of faith, love, and hope. And God, sometimes we are very bad at doing that. And so I ask that you would forgive us for the times where we are doing that and that you would help us to be better each and every day, to live our lives full of faith, love, and hope. And in Jesus' name, amen.